Welcome to Murder and Mayhem, the podcast where we explore the dark and mysterious side of writing. It's a world filled with more evil and crime than you can shake a sharpened stick at, where people save the world from certain destruction, where spies, terrorists and thugs abound, and where the killer could be someone in your very own home. It's also a world often filled with flawed heroes and likeable villains. But above all, it's a place where we explore the authors who tell these very stories, what makes them tick, and how their words manage to take us to some of the darkest corners of our imaginations. Hello everyone, my name's Valerie Koo and I'm host of the Murder and Mayhem pop-up podcast. This episode is brought to you by the popular online course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. Over eight spine-chilling modules, you'll delve into each step of the murder process, including the psychological, forensic and legal aspects of homicide from premeditation right through to prison life. Brought to you by one of the world's leading centres, for writing courses, the Australian Writers' Centre. Using both real and fictional cases, you'll discover the many faces of killers, the police who pursue them, and the victims who get caught in the killer's trap, all designed to enhance your crime and thriller writing and help you bring writing about death to life. It's a self-study course with a full audio program, including accompanying handouts and videos and resources where you can view real forensic and police reports reports and a dissection of real murder scenes. Find out more at murdercourse.com. That's murdercourse.com. I'm Valerie Koo and you're listening to today's instalment of the pop-up podcast Murder and Mayhem. If you haven't yet downloaded your free ebook, make sure you get it at murdercourse.com and that's where you can get the ebook called A Month of Murder and Mayhem. Spend 31 days with the world's best crime and thriller authors. It's a wonderful tool particularly if you're interested in crime and thriller writing. Now today we're chatting with Bronwyn Parry. Bronwyn is an Australian author who has published 10 books including As Darkness Falls and her most recent Storm Clouds which has been shortlisted for the 2016 Sisters in Crime Davit Award. This interview with Bronwyn first appeared in my other podcast called So You Want to Be a Writer which I co-host with Alison Tate at the Australian Writers' Centre. You can find it on iTunes and Stitcher Radio by searching for So You Want to Be a Writer. And that's where we talk to authors from all walks of life and across all genres and across many countries. But here on the Murder and Mayhem podcast, this is where we've curated the world's best crime and thriller authors for you all in one spot. Anyway, I hope you enjoy my chat with Bronwyn. I've interviewed her after the release of As Darkness Falls. Bronwyn, thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast. Thank you, Valerie. Well, now tell us, when did you know you wanted to be a writer and how did you then go about making that all happen? Um, Well, I guess being a writer had always been in the back of my mind. Um, Even when I was a kid, I was writing short stories and and fan fiction, um, although we didn't have the term fan fiction back then. (laughs) Um, In the late 90s, I sort of really started writing sort of properly um, in terms of exploring ideas and, and, you know, writing scenes and chapters and things. But it wasn't until about 2001 that I actually decided I was going to 
seriously write and and see what I could do with that. What happened in 2001 that made you... Um, I think it was, you know, um, I was getting perilously close to 40 and uh, we moved house into our, the, the house we'd been sort of building for a while and um, in one week I moved house, finished my honours thesis, submitted my resignation from the, the career job I was no longer finding fulfilling and I decided to be serious about writing all in that one week. Wow. <laughs> yes. So what happened then? Well, um, I was doing uh, consulting and things like that, but in between times, uh, in quiet times, I wrote and I started exploring and playing with ideas. And I said, I, I gave myself time to just play with writing and see what kind of writer I wanted to be. How did I write? What things worked for me? What things didn't work for me? And that sort of thing. And that's something that I think was a good investment of time. Mm. And what appeals to you about romantic fiction? Because that's what My Darkness Falls is. Um, you know, that's the genre that it falls in, doesn't it? Doesn't it? That's right. Yes, it's, it is a romance. Um, it's the characters that appeal to me most about romantic fiction. Um, it's, uh, romantic fiction focuses on people and their emotional growth. My preferences within the genre, it's a huge genre and my preferences lean towards the sort of the real end um but there's a there's a, a very strong you know light fantasy entertainment end of the genre as well but i tend to read towards the more realistic end of the genre i think one of the things that's important to remember about romantic fiction is that women are front and center in romance mm. um they're they're an integral part of, of romance they're not just you know stock characters who support the male action figures um and women and women's concerns are portrayed in very positive ways and emotional strength is affirmed as a, as, a, as a core value within romantic fiction. So for all those sort of reasons, I really like it. And how did your book, As Darkness Falls, come about? Did you already have those characters in your head or what happened there? No, with As Darkness Falls, I, I had actually been working on a number of other stories and I was still finding my, my way and my voice. But one in the small hours of the morning, one morning I dreamt this very short, vivid scene. I do have a lot of dreams, so it wasn't unusual to have a dream, but mm. this was a particularly short and powerful scene. It was really just sort of a moment, a snapshot moment. And it was a woman who was obviously a, a police person of some sort, uh, facing a mob of people in a very isolated area and she was trying to talk them out of um, attacking suspect and I knew something terrible had happened in the community. I knew she knew these people um, and then I woke up. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that scene, um, I sort of then, it had been so strong that I went and, and sort of thought about it a bit more and took some notes and that scene is actually now basically the end of the prologue of As Darkness Falls. Mm. But of course, once I'd written it down, I then had to... Um, work out who she was, where they were, what had happened, and most importantly, what was going to happen next. Yeah, because apart from being a romance, as you've mentioned, there's obviously some kind of crime afoot. Mm. So what yes. kind of research went into this book in that ex on that aspect? Well, obviously police procedure was something that I needed to research a mm. bit about. Now, setting it in a fairly isolated community means that um, there's not necessarily hard and fast rules because things can happen differently out there due to lack of resources and and distance from resources and things like that. Mm. So, um, but I did talk with a number of police officers, and as after the manuscript got accepted for publication, I actually contacted the local police station and was very lucky to be put in contact with a female police sergeant who had worked a lot in in isolated communities, and she was fantastic in just giving me some um, you know a few tips about how you know, 
making it a little bit more real, I guess. And so she was wonderful. Mm. Um, the other thing too, I think that was sort of the landscape. The, the, the setting is fictional, but um, I needed to sort of model the landscape itself on a, on a particular area. So I went and sort of visited um, the area that I, I chose as the model and um, just spent a bit of time out there and walking around and driving around and thinking about, well, how how would this lands, landscape impact on the characters and but also on the unfolding crime and the and the mm. um, search to resolve that crime? So, did you have the seed of the idea and then went out and did the research required and then started writing, or was it a bit of everything in between? A bit of everything in between. Um, there was the seed of the idea, then, um, and I had visited that particular landscape before. So, it, when I realised this was an isolated area, I thought, well, I could I could use that as the model. Um, and but it was as the plot evolved and the book evolved, I realised I needed to find out various things, so I went out and, and searched for those answers. Mm. So, would you be interested in writing crime fiction as well? Um, not, it, I would never rule it out. But straight crime fiction tends to focus more on sort of um, intellect and reason and and the crime itself, and on often violence or social issues or whatever. And my interest, I think, in writing is mostly on, on characters and, and mm. character-focused things. So um, that's that's mostly where my interest lies. So romantic fiction and romantic suspense combines, I think, the best of both. <laughs> mm. um, but I like focusing on the intensity of that emotional journey. Sure. And are you a reader of romantic fiction? Is that what you mainly read or do you read a wide variety of things? I read a wide variety of things and, and always have. Um, romance has always been a, a, a part of my reading, um, but I've read everything from literary fiction through science fiction, fantasy, um, uh, historical fiction. Um, I like ridiculous things like Terry Pratchett, that wonderful mm. absurd fantasy that, that really is so real, um, through to you know science fiction like Ursula Le Guin, Quite a huge range, but I have always read romance and always enjoyed romance. Mm. Now, I love reading romantic fiction, but what kind of feedback do you get from people when you tell them you write romantic fiction? Do they have a kind of stereotype in their heads, a romance writer? Uh, well, for people that know the genre, the, the feedback's always very positive. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of enthusiasm. But for people who don't know the genre, um, the most common thing is sort of a bit of a snickering laugh and a comment about Barbara Carland or Bodice yes. Rickers. Um, in Australia, we don't have a lot of conversation about about romantic fiction, so it's not very from people that don't read it, they don't know very much about it, and, and these stereotypes and the myths still persist. So, um, it's quite an educative process now trying to talk to people that don't know much about the genre. Mm-hmm. And even though you only decided to take writing seriously in two thousand or thereabouts, what were you doing before then? Like, were you dabbling in it, or were you just doing things for yourself? What was the extent of your writing before then? Oh, mostly it was daydreaming, um, sort of daydreaming characters and situations, and you know, I'd sometimes write down scenes and things like that. But I wasn't seriously trying to structure a book or develop a complex complex character or think about an emotion. You know, I wasn't really seriously thinking about putting together stories. It was more just, you know, basically as a daydreaming and fantasizing and um and just letting the imagination roam. I guess, you know, you'd see people in the street and think, I wonder what their story is and you'd have a little you know, I'd have a little sort of imagination about what that might be, but I didn't actually sit down and write seriously. 
Sure. So you've had quite a diverse background in everything from, you know, a youth worker to a dance teacher and organizational development manager. Where then did you go and learn how to hone your craft in writing? Or, or how did you go about working out things like character and dialogue and plot? Initially, um, because I live in a small community and it's a very academic community, um, I didn't confess to being a romance writer to start with, so I turned to the internet because um, that, although we have a writer's centre here, there was a lot of focus on literary fiction and, and mm. um, academic type writing. So I turned to the internet and I actually found that there was a lot of very, very useful information out there on the internet and I discovered that the Romance Writers of Australia and the Romance Writers of America existed there were critique groups, there were social communities that revolved around romance reading and romance writing. And so I became involved and met a lot of people um, through that, those um, internet forums. Don't you love the internet? Oh, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you working on now? Is there another book in the works? Yes, there's a Lucy Lynch sequel to As Darkness Falls. Mm-hmm. It starts about uh, eight or nine months after the events in As Darkness Falls. And um, one of the secondary characters from the first book becomes a main character in the second book. And how how far along into it are you? Um, About a third of the way with lots of draft scenes. Right. Uh, sort of sitting in the last two thirds of it. So um, still got a fair way to go, yes. So can you describe to us what your writing day looks like, your typical working day, when you're writing? Um, well, I get up and I tend to check the, um, the various um, blogs and things like that that I read and have a bit of a slow... I'm not a morning person. A bit of a slow <laughs> start for the morning. <laughs> yeah, breakfast, shower, dressed, etc. I do have to be dressed by 9 o'clock just in case anybody rings. Um, not that I've got a video phone, but <laughs> you feel more professional when you're out of your dressing gown. Mm. Um, and, and then I tend to sit down. Mornings aren't my most productive time. I'm much more productive in the afternoons and evenings. So I'm trying now to discipline myself to sort of do all the the business type things in the morning and the bill paying and the tax things and that sort of thing and then concentrate in the afternoon and into the evening on writing. Mm-hmm. And when you made that transition, transition, when you decided to take it seriously, did you actually go cold turkey, so to speak, and actually just start writing? Was it a hard, was it a sudden thing, or, and was it a hard um, thing to do financially or, or just logistically? Um, well, I, I couldn't. Um, I still had to work, but I was doing private consulting from home, so that gave me a bit more flexibility in terms of having time to write. Mm. Um, but earning a living had to come first. So um, I tended to spend sort of more weekends and evenings writing. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, though, I, I did give myself permission to play for a period of time mm. so that I wasn't sort of thinking, okay, I've got to sit down and write a book, write, write, write a book. Um, I realised I needed to explore and experiment and learn the craft. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'm not a terribly structured learner. I tend to learn by doing. So that was what I did. And I, I probably started about 12 different stories and played with different ideas and wrote scenes and chapters and synopses and things like that and basically learned about writing and about my voice and the stories I wanted to tell and how I wanted to tell them mm. um, by doing that and seeing what worked and what I liked. And you say that you found a lot of help and feedback from forums and other places online. Can you give us an example of that? Um, well, first of all, the um, the Harlequin community, they have huge discussion boards, and that, to begin with, was, was very useful. 
um, there was a lot of information about writing Harlequin romances, and I had originally thought I would target the shorter category novels, and um, but then I decided that that wasn't where my voice lay. But I sort of met a whole lot of people through those discussion boards, and that ended up being a very, very supportive um, writers group, even though we all write different things, that ended up being quite supportive, and we did critiques for each other, and mm. um, but just also getting through the the writing day and the ups and downs of the writing life, and they're a fun bunch of people to to do that with. So effectively, you have a, a virtual writers group to workshop with. Yes, yes, um, and a, a small group um, of us actually got together and did serious critiquing of each other for about um, two years or thereabouts. We right. were all aiming seriously for publication by then, and so we had a fairly non, a fairly no nonsense upfront critique group, which um, was a, a great experience. Mm. Uh, we're now sort of heading in slightly different directions, I think, and, and pretty much all published. So we we don't critique each other as much as we used to, but um, it's still a, a forum for brainstorming and and also getting a kick up the proverbial butt when you need it. And for aspiring writers out there, can you tell them how important that sort of workshopping environment is, you know, to, to improve your own writing so that you're not in isolation? Yeah, I think it's very important to have um, important to compare and to be able to talk about your writing and to hear people's feedback on it. Um, I think that you need to write a lot and find your voice mm-hmm. and then know what your voice is and develop that and don't let anybody be you away from that. Once once you know what it is, how you want to write and what your particular strengths as a writer are, then you've got to hold on to those and hone those. So critique groups, you know, finding a really good critique group is invaluable. A bad critique group can be very damaging. So mm-hmm. having knowing knowing why you write what you write and polishing and developing that voice is very important Mm. and the feedback from others you need to know what to take and what to leave Mm -mm. and when did you know when did you find your voice and how did you know it was it um i think actually when i first started writing as darkness falls as i said i'd been playing with a lot of other stories um and i was feeling confident that i could you know dramatically i was quite good and i could you know write reasonably well but I think the the setting, the type of story that is Darkness Falls is um, it's it's a little bit dark. Um, it's a it's a bit gritty. Um, it looks at a community as well as the the, the main protagonists, um, and I think that um, is an important part of the types of stories that I want to tell. Sort of quite real, um, based in Australia and and in sort of the, the complexities of real life. So you're currently researching online communities for your PhD. Involved uh, online communities involved with romantic fiction. What what have you learned from that? What what's been interesting about that research? Um, Oh, that there's huge active uh, communities of readers and writers out there, Mm. and that those interactions are very important to the ways in which people read and write the genre. Um, The different ways in which readers read. um, That's one of the things that often comes up in in well demonstrated in discussions that one person will interpret something one way and and other people have either very different tastes or very different ways of reading or very different ways of processing what they read so that the same bit of text can be interpreted so differently by mm. two different people. Mm. Um, I think though also it's I've learned how passionate romance readers are, they're, but they're mm. passionate readers of all genres. Um, they tend to be interested in people, though. So they're interested in characters, they're interested in authors, they're interested in other readers, and so they communicate a great deal because that communication with others is an important part of the way that they um, interact in the world. Mm-mm. 
And in your research, have you found at all that there's a typical or an ideal protagonist? Um, no. What, one of the things I've found is that we talk a lot about alpha heroes or um, various different sorts of heroes. I think what one of the things that stood out for me, though, is that we, because romance fiction has been very much the ugly stepchild of, of literary or well, of fiction, um, a lot of people don't talk about it, it hasn't been studied properly, mm. um, or only, not, not until recent years. So we don't actually really have a good language to talk about romantic fiction. Uh, we don't have a good language to talk about its themes, its structures, what makes a good romance, what makes a, 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 less, a less solid romance. We don't even really have a good language to talk about love. Mm. Um, which is at the heart of romantic fiction. So that's one of the things that I think we grapple with and, and a lot of the discussions in the communities, I can see that you know if, that, if there was a good framework that we had, for example, you know, we have a good framework for literary fiction, but that doesn't translate across. And we've got a reasonably good framework for things like adventure fiction or fantasy or whatever in terms of you know, the ideas of the hero's journey um, and that sort of thing, the, the, the mythic structure. Mm. But that doesn't work for a female-centred, emotion-centred um, genre. So that's one of the things that, that has given me lots of questions to ask, I guess, about romantic fiction and the ways in which we read it and talk about it. Mm-mm-mm. And for people out there who are aspiring writers, what would your advice be to them if they're just starting out and they were sort of where you were in 2000? What would your advice be to them to, to get to where you are today? Um, write a lot. Yes. Um, write, write, write. <laughs> Find your voice. What is it that's special about your writing and the stories that you choose to tell and how you choose to tell them? I think um, you need to know the market. Um, now, not necessarily writing to the market, but knowing where your writing is in relation to what is currently being published and what publishers are currently looking for because you can't sell it if you can't pitch it in terms of uh, to a publisher as something that they want. Um, So it's not just about a creative inspiration. There's a commercial reality to it as well. If you want to make a living from writing or if you want to, you know, earn money from writing, then you do have to confront the commercial reality of it. Publishers will publish a book if they think it will sell. Mm. So we have to be out as writers, we have to be able to convince publishers that our book is not just a creative work of genius, but that readers are actually going to go and um, shell out hard-earned cash for our book. Yes, <laughs> of course, <laughs> and but but apart from the commercial reality, then um, mm. what do you do? To, what do you do on a final note to get into a creative flow that so that you can actually you know get the words out and they're words that you're really happy with and that you're proud of? Um, just at the moment, I wish I knew, but <laughs> <laughs> um, no, self discipline is important and it's something that I could do with some more of. Um, but I do, I think finding a good space to write is important, although that's going to be different for different writers. Mm. Personally, I also use soundtracks. I've got um, playlists for each book, which have a, a sort of range of different types of music on there. And that helps me to get into the emotional mood of the scenes that I'm writing. So different bits of music for different characters or different points in the in the book. What do you mean um, you, you create a playlist for each character that embodies that character? Um, yes, or embodies the character's emotional um, space at, at a particular point in the book. Really? Um, the, the current uh, male character I'm writing is a very sort of raw, earthy, male-type character, um, very uh, controlled and reserved. Um, so Waterboy's the pagan place. It's a sort of very um, 
raw earthy male rock from Ireland in the in the 1980s. So, mm. um, so there's a couple of tracks for that that I I play that actually sort of starts me to helps me to get into the sort of space of being able to write from that character's point of view. What a great idea! Yeah, <laughs> it works for me. Have you always done that? Um, I have done for the last few years, and um, and sort of it, my system's evolving a bit as as I go, so that there are some tracks that I don't use for particular parts of the book because it's not right. Mm. Um, the current heroine I'm writing is a lovely, she's she's a very overworked and somewhat stressed kind of person, but there's this lovely Irish tune that just embodies that sort of tiredness. I think. Right. Um, so when I want to get into her point of view at this particular point in the book, later on she'll be happier or whatever, but um, mm-hmm. at this particular point she's facing a lot of a lot of burdens. So so that track really just helps me to get into her her frame, her mood. Great. And on that note, well, thank you very much for sharing your insight into your writing process with us today. My pleasure, Valerie. Great. Thanks, Bronwyn. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Bronwyn. I love the fact that Bronwyn simply rang up a police station, a local police station, and started talking to them and asking for the appropriate person for her to talk to to get a sense of what it's like for police to work in an isolated community, which is relevant for her book. But often, when we're writing books that need research, we can get bogged down by thinking, oh, we don't know somebody in that industry, or we don't know a police officer, we don't know a forensic scientist, we don't know a blood splatter specialist or anything like that. But you know what? Just pick up the phone and find someone. It's not that hard to deduce where they might work or just to, it might take you 10 phone calls before you get to an appropriate person, but it's not that hard. You can always find somebody who can help you. And the reality is that people, you know, they actually love talking about themselves and their jobs, particularly if you're referring to something that's in their area of expertise. People love talking about that. So you'll probably find that when you go looking for such an expert who can really help you in the research for your novel, that you'll actually be able to find them. But you need to be proactive and go looking. I suggest that this week as an exercise, think about somebody that you think might be hard to get in terms of an expert who can shed some light into the research that you need for your novel and take some of the steps that you can in order to find that person. Ask your network, think about the kinds of places they're likely to work at, then contact the media department of those organisations and explain what you're after. But by the same token, you may find somebody just through your network. So I really encourage you to do that as an exercise this week. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Bronwyn. The Murder and Mayhem podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses, with online and classroom writing courses in all genres of writing, including crime writing. Students enrol from all over the world. You'll find a course to suit your needs right here at writerscentre.com.au.